Reverend Wendy's series, From Struggle to Well-Being, continues. This week, Reverend Wendy looks at using curiosity as a way of improving the experience of our lives. Reverend Wendy makes the point that many of our challenges come from a desire to control, and that by changing our relationship to discomfort, we can find a way through the challenges. So I know you frequently take notes from the message. Do you ever take notes from the songs? I do. I do. I mean, some of the lines and some of the songs we're blessed with are just powerful nuggets of truth and and many messages. So I was jotting some things down that I know I wanted to remember. How are you today? Oh, good. You are second service. (laughs) Not that first service isn't great. Also, they just respond a little differently than you second service does when I ask questions like that. So we have been exploring together a, a book Uh, written by Mary O'Malley that is called What's in the Way is the Way. And it's all about the idea of learning how to skillfully move from struggle to well-being. And I don't know of anybody who wouldn't prefer that choice, right? To move from struggle to well-being, to an experience of joy. This morning I want to talk to you about three practices that she suggests that will help us more effectively move from struggle into well-being and into joy, as well as five teachers or core teachers that she identifies, five areas of life and living that can really teach us if we choose to open our eyes to them in that regard. But to get started, I want to share with you some of the general themes that I'm getting as I am working with the material. So I've read the book a couple of times now and and obviously um, look back over it when I'm looking at the ideas that I want to share with you. And some of the very broad themes I get are these, that part of it is about changing our relationship with the experience of discomfort. There are things, despite our best efforts, despite our prayer work and our affirmations and denials and our practices, there are things that we experience in life that are unpleasant, where we feel discomfort or stress or irritation or pain or frustration. And she basically is sharing that Part of our journey is learning to be with what we could call, as an umbrella term, discomfort in a different way. Another theme that is present in her work is the importance of looking and connecting rather than avoiding and retreating. And for many of us, that's somewhat counterintuitive when things are painful or upsetting, it seems more natural to pull away than it does to step in and look. There's a phrase she uses in the book that the more you look, the more you unhook. Pretty effective. The more you look, especially if you look a certain way, and we'll talk about that, the easier it is to unhook. And then another very general theme that I'm finding really, really helpful to remember is that there is a big difference between the stories I tell myself and the actual experience of life itself. A big difference. 
between the stories I tell myself and the actual experience of life itself. And what we are attempting to do as we grow spiritually and awaken spiritually is to quiet down the stories and have a direct experience of life. And there was a time in our lives when we did more of that. It was called very young childhood. We experienced life very directly. You know, for example, when we were very, very young, if it was raining and we went outside, we experienced the rain directly without really any story about it. We may have danced in the raindrops or probably to our mother's upset. We may have just stomped in the puddles and got ourselves all full of mud. Fast forward as an adult and we protect ourselves from the rain. We tell ourselves story about the rain. We label the rain bad. We're frustrated by the rain. We're not directly experiencing it. We're experiencing our story about it. Oh no, now I have to do my hair all over again, <laughs> right? So there was a time when we did this more naturally and part of our journey is learning to dwell back in that state of being. And that's what we're gonna be exploring today. So three practices that she gives us. The first she calls curiosity, and we've talked about this a little bit in the previous lessons. She identifies curiosity as the practice of the art of looking. The practice of the art of looking. She says it is the ability to bring your attention and your immediate experience right together. To bring your attention and your immediate experience right together. And that when we do, we are experiencing whatever it is directly rather than experiencing it through the filter of our story, which probably isn't true to begin with anyway. So how do we experience directly? How do we drop some of that story? And who are we really? Because we can get so identified, can't we, with the story. Where do you think we spend most of our time living? In our heads, in the stories. Another one of my favorite teachers, Byron Katie, in her body called The Work, she calls her work The Work, she identifies that the most important relationship we will ever have is not the relationship we have with a significant other, not the relationship we have with God, but the relationship we have with our thoughts as the most important relationship we will have. And that's all wrapped up truly in story. Mary writes this in the book, life's pure energy is continually pouring through you as it flows through your mind and body, it gets condensed into ripples of thought, sensations, and feelings. But these are not who you truly are. Now, I've got to tell you, there are plenty of times that the storyteller is active in my mind, and it absolutely feels like I am that story. Do you ever have that experience? She says, but these are not who you truly are. You are awareness. You are the space in which that is taking place. You are awareness. You are that which can watch. You are that which can watch the thoughts, feelings, sensations 
pass through who you really are. Hold that for a moment because it's really an important idea. You are that which can watch the thoughts, feelings, and sensations pass through the vast spaciousness of who you really are. Close your eyes for just a moment. And silently repeat to yourself three or four times the word peace. Just silently repeat the word peace to yourself three or four times. If you watch carefully, if you watch carefully, you'll observe that there is part of you silently saying that word. However, there is also part of you that is aware of you watching yourself silently saying those words. That part of you that is aware of what you are doing is the real you. Can you feel into that? It's very subtle and it's, it's very real and it's very important. If you watch carefully, you'll observe that there's a part of you saying it and there is a part of you that is aware that it is being said. This awareness is who you really are. Like most everybody else, you've lost sight of the truth that you are that which can see and be with what is going on. You are that which can see and be with what is going on, but you are more than what is going on. And the way that we move into curiosity around whatever it is that is going on is we stop trying to control it and we try to connect with it. We try to step a little closer into it rather than moving away from it. So the first practice is curiosity, the art of looking. She identifies the second practice as paying attention to your physical body. Paying attention to your physical body. I asked you a moment ago, where do we spend most of our time? And most of you pointed here, and I think that's really very true. Very true. Most of us spend a great deal of time caught in our head, and it's as if we just see our body as this thing we need to move through space and time. And on one hand, it is this thing we need to move through space and time, but our body is full of wisdom and can tell us what we are actually experiencing long before our mind will. Our body can tell us what we're experiencing long before our mind will. Our body is experiencing it, the result of it, directly. Our mind is usually experiencing it through the filter of the story. And so we notice, especially when we become tight, when the body becomes tight. We talked a tiny bit about this last week. She suggests that we become a tightness detective. I like that term. I'm going to be a tightness detective. I'm going to notice when I'm feeling tight about something. Because the moment there is tightness in the body, there is resistance going on. The moment there is tightness in the body, there is resistance going on. It could be resistance to a thought we are thinking, to a story we are telling ourselves, to something that somebody has said, to something that somebody did or didn't do. But the moment that we feel tightness, 
Beneath the tightness, there is some resistance. In order to move past it effectively, we have to try to understand what, is, what are we resisting? What is it that is causing that resistance? It's showing up as a result of a particular trigger, but beneath that trigger is the gold that we're really looking for. Is what just got triggered, is what I am resisting, is what I am feeling in my body that the resistance is reflecting, that I'm afraid right now, that I feel alone, that I feel left out, that I feel sad. One of our members shared with me, when she came through the line after first service, she said, you know, this morning, for some reason, you sounded more conversational. She says, and, and I felt like you were talking just to me. And she said, I've been having, when you got to the part in the talk where you were talking about paying attention to the body, I was aware that I've been having pressure, the feeling of tightness and pressure behind my eyes. And all of a sudden, as I paid attention to it, I got what was behind the tightness and the tension behind my eyes. She says, I need to cry about something. And I've not let myself cry. And she said, all of a sudden, I, the tears just started to come. She says, the tightness isn't there now. I don't know what was behind the tightness for her, and I don't know what the tears were about. But I know, and she discovered for herself, that her body was trying to get her attention about something, and the tightness in the eyes was a sign of something deeper that really didn't have so much to do with the eyes necessarily, but really had to do with the heart. Our body somehow seems to know so much faster than our mind does. And I want to suggest not that we do away with the mind, but that we elevate the way that we look at the wisdom of the body. The third is a nat practice is a natural extension of the first two. And it's what Mary O'Malley calls the U-turn. Think about when you're driving and you realize you're going in the wrong direction. You can't wait to find a place to make a legal U-turn, right? You've you got, got to go right back around. She says the U-turn is about bringing your attention back to yourself so you can recognize your stories and the feelings they generate. Oftentimes we are looking outward at who we can blame for why we feel the way we feel. I like the line in the song, Jimmer, that you sang, it's all right sometimes to be wrong. Right? It's all right sometimes to be wrong. The U-turn is about bringing your attention back so you can recognize your stories and the feelings they generate. So you pay attention. You pay attention. You ask, what stories am I telling myself right now? What is it that I'm telling myself about what just happened or what I think is going to happen? What am I telling myself right now? We ask, what is it like to be me right now? I don't know about how it is for you, but I know when I'm wrapped up in my small stories or my angry stories or my hurt stories or my afraid stories, it's not such a pleasant place to live inside me. And I imagine that it might not be such a pleasant place to live around me either. 
But being willing to be vulnerable and look at that is what the U-turn is partly about. So we watch, we notice, we ask, and we name. She says the most basic naming is story. When we catch ourselves, if we, if we don't know how to name the feeling or what's beneath it, if we haven't yet been able to identify it, we can at least name it story. Oh, I'm in that story cycle, story. The most, most, the most basic naming, she says, is story. But as you develop your capacity to see what is going on, you'll be able to be more specific about what you see. Fear, sadness, irritation, boredom. When you name something, you are relating to what you are experiencing rather than being caught in it or resisting it. I want to read those words from her again. When we name something, we are relating to what we are experiencing rather than being caught in it or resisting it. So we're going to move and now and just touch ever so lightly on what she identifies as five core teachers, or I would say they're five areas in our lives, places in our lives, to practice these things. They're areas in our lives that's, that, tend, that we tend to experience some discomfort or some struggle around. And remember, part of our journey is learning to be with discomfort or learning to be with struggle in a different way, in a way in which we at least don't add more to the struggle by resisting it, manipulating it, or trying to control it. So the five areas she identifies are compulsions, illness, pain, finances, and people. Compulsions, illness, pain, finances, and people. She writes, there are five core teachers that are designed to bring up, that are designed to bring up what is most asking for the healing of our attention. Each of these areas is full of invitations to practice the U-turn. Spending your energy on being curious about what they bring up inside of you rather than trying to fix, change, or get rid of what is going on. Becoming curious. So how do you become curious about your compulsions? You first want to make sure that you know what compulsions you have. Do you have a compulsion of always having to be right? Always having to have the last word? Do you have a compulsion to always correct? Do you have a compulsion around a, a, a substance? Rather than white knuckling it, I'm going to stop that. What if you said, wait a minute, my first step is I'm going to be curious about it. What's really going on with this compulsion? Have you ever had the experience of, of being on a long car ride as the driver and noticing, you know, hours in the car ride, and noticing after a while that your hands are grabbing the steering wheel tighter and tighter? Raise your hand if anybody besides me has had that experience. Yeah, whenever we take a trip up to, to the Sierras, it's a long drive, it's 400 miles, and we're usually making it right after church on a Sunday morning. And we take turns, John and I take turns driving, and oftentimes I'll catch myself just holding the wheel tighter and tighter and tighter. And the first time I noticed I was doing that, I asked why to myself. I talk to myself a lot. Do you talk to yourself a lot? I asked why, why am I doing this? There's no reason. And the moment I asked myself why, I didn't even think the thought stopped tightening, but the moment I noticed and I asked why, my hands just opened and loosened. 
And it got me to thinking about how many other places in my life do I bring that same kind of energy when it's not needed? And not only is it not needed, it's probably getting in the way of what I really want to be doing or being in the moment. So noticing and being curious around our compulsions, whatever they may be, is to shift our relationship to them and to allow them to be a teacher, I think, more than a taskmaster. And the same thing can be said of illness and pain, of illness and pain. Those are two other core teachers, she says. And I think this statement applies to both of them. She writes, anything that is out of balance in your body is your body asking for you to listen to it and be with it in a different way. I like that. I like the wisdom of not only recognizing that my body is asking me to listen to it, but it's also asking me to be with it in a different way. I've also noticed something else. I was doing, I was making window treatments yesterday. There was a time in my life that I did a tremendous amount of sewing. I still have a sewing machine. And these window treatments, I have very high ceilings. I had two six-foot lengths of fabric lined, running them through the sewing machine. And just the sheer length of running through the sewing machine, doing it properly and carefully for each length, took about a half an hour to get from one end to the other. And I was standing much, off, much longer than I usually do. And I was feeling my back tighten up. I was feeling my knee ache from skiing too many moguls this past season. And I'm noticing the discomfort, the pain in my body, and I didn't pay any attention to what it was asking of me. She said, I gotta get this done. Do you do it, ever do anything? I muscled through it. Well, yeah, I muscled through it, and boy, did it hurt a whole lot more the rest of the evening. My body was gently trying to grab my attention, and it did, but it didn't bother to listen to what it was asking for, which it was asking for me to do something different. My husband, in all his wisdom, at the end of the day said, honey, why didn't you wear your running shoes with your lifts and insoles in instead of being barefoot? Maybe that would have helped. And gosh darn it, he was right again. But her point, anything that is out of balance in our body is our body asking for us to listen to it and be with it in a different way, whether it is illness or whether it is pain. And gosh, I, I, I wish we would get to a place in metaphysics where we refuse to use our metaphysical teachings in an overly simplistic way and then hurt people with those teachings. It is not helpful when somebody is ill to say either directly or to imply, I wonder what stinking thinking you were doing to get that. Now I'm exaggerating, I'm exaggerating, but there is sometimes that undercurrent in our metaphysical misapplication. Somebody called it metaphysical malpractice, I like that. <laughs> yes, there is a connection between what shows up in our body and what we are doing and what we are thinking. There is a connection. But it is not up to me to point that out to you, number one. And I can never fully know what's going on inside of you. It is for you, when and if you feel ready and willing, to explore in your own way to ask what might be that connection and to listen. 
and see if whatever guidance you get takes you down a path that will be helpful to your healing. So she says that our compulsions can be a core teacher, our pain can be a core teacher, our illness can be a core teacher. She also identifies our finances as a place of, of teaching. Think about it. Many people do become very tight around finances. And I'm not just talking about tight-fisted, afraid to give, but tight in the way they think about abundance. Tight, one of the ways that tightness around finances shows up is in our belief in lack, or in our feelings of comparison and jealousy, or in our belief that if, if you have more, then I'm gonna have less. Can you see where she's pretty smart in saying, look at your finances and where there's tightness there because it's an area for awakening, it's an area for, for potential teaching. And then the last she brings up, we could, we, I think we actually, once we're in this work and this work is in us, we can spend our entire lifetime with this one. And that is people as our teachers, right? And have you noticed that there are teachers in your life that you just love? You love what they teach you and how they teach you. They are patient with you and supportive of you and they gently guide you and they might gently point out areas that you might need to stretch and grow, but they're all about love and support and they're teaching you. But have you also noticed that there's a whole other group of teachers? Not everybody calls them teachers. Those people are the ones I want you to bring front and center right now. Those are the people really that have the potential to be the most powerful teachers in our lives. Now, out of self-protection, you do not have to tell them they are your teacher. <laughs> they could take that and use that against you consciously. You don't have to tell them they're your teacher, but they are your teacher. They are your teacher. One of my favorite spiritual teachers is Pema Chodron. And a, a recurring theme in her work is that we actually need people who irritate us in our lives. We need them. We need them. And not for the purpose of changing them. <laughs> Just in case that's why you thought they were there. Not for that purpose but for the purpose of our own awakening, for the purpose of our own self-discovery. This is what she writes about it. All of the people in your life are just character actors in your theater of awakening. I love that phrase, I'm gonna repeat it. All the people in your life are just character actors in your theater of awakening. So the next time, you know, when you laughed about the people over here that we said, you, but we don't call them teachers, right? The next time you have one of those interactions with that person and they're driving you crazy or whatever it is about them that triggers stuff, quietly say to yourself, ah, sent by central casting. That's my own insertion. Sent by central casting to star in the play of my life called my spiritual awakening. Thank you, central casting. But she says, all of the people in your life are just character actors in your theater of awakening designed to show off 
in ways to bring up inside of you what is asking to be seen and released. It is the people that most disturb you that are the greatest invitation to you to do the U-turn. The deepest reactions you have around other people are when their words and actions wake up one of your spells, especially if somebody says or does something that you secretly don't like about yourself. Namaste. Many people enjoy Reverend Wendy's talks and meditations and aren't able to attend the Unity Center in person. If you're part of our extended family from around the world and would like to help support the Unity Center, please go to our website or download our free app, which offers even more ways to connect with the Unity Center. Namaste. Namaste.